Hello there and welcome to Racehorse Movies, the show where two film fans take a racing sheet from last week, pick a random horse name for each other and from that name pitch a movie. In the pitch, to flesh out our movie ideas, we may include such things as stars, directors, composers, best boys and stable boys. Maybe not that last one. Hoping none of our ideas have to be put behind a screen and shot. The sky's the limit, the horses are on the starting line, the jockeys are frothing. It's time for Racehorse Movies. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Racehorse Movies, the pilot episode, our inaugural episode of our little podcast. My name is Graham Thomas, and I'm joined by my very, very good friend, Mr. Luke Sell. Hello there. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, man. Yeah, it's been a fantastic day so far, and a pretty damn good week as well. So yeah, feeling tip-top. Thanks, man. Good. Are you excited about what we're just about to get into? Yeah, I am actually. Oddly, I thought I would just be purely terrified, but no, I am actually quite excited. I absolutely am, man. Yeah, well, you know, we sort of, uh, it's rolled around in our minds in some way or another for quite some time, really, hasn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, to, to give a bit of context, do you want to explain the format a little bit? I think that's a good idea. It was explained in the intro, but maybe people skipped over that just to get to your... To our beautiful, voice. silky voices, of course. Mm. <clears throat> All right, what, what are we doing? Why are we here? What's happening? Right, well, we, we figured it would be quite fun to sort of uh, jump off the back of a game we used to play in university, man, um, which involved us having a look at the uh, local papers, going to the racing sheets at the back, um, picking a random horse name, and then pitching a movie based on whatever that horse name was, man. I guess it's kind of an exercise, a fun exercise in creativity, storytelling, um, trying to make something sometimes serious, sometimes ridiculous out of quite silly racehorse names because they are always quite silly absolutely yeah and just uh yeah they're a really good uh jumping off point for a, like mm. you say a little bit of creativity and exploration and having some fun kind of a thing and seeing where it takes us man so yeah it's a pilot episode so please bear in mind that there might be some technical ups and downs we've never ever done anything like this before yeah be gentle with us uh dear listeners well before we get into it actually how are you what's been going yeah. on well, uh, like, not uh, a great deal as far as uh, any massive world events go, man. Just been enjoying um, visiting some lovely places, uh, exploring um, Portsmouth and South Sea, going out in some sunshine, can you believe it? Although it is uh, tipping it down with rain I as I speak now. I cannot believe it. No, absolutely. No, no, and nor should you. Um, <laughs> uh, watching a couple of movies, listening to some music, uh, buying a few vinyl, those kind of things, man. Uh, enjoy, enjoying nice. the finer things in life and feeling very good for it. Good, good for you. What have you been watching? Well, I, I started watching. I was in the, in need of a series uh, to get my teeth into. Uh, nothing too intimidating. There's a lot of series out there that are five or six seasons in, and they seem like mm. a little bit too much of a commitment for me to get my teeth into. But I stumbled across a show called Devs, um, which is quite oh, a yeah. creepy offering, a sort of tech thriller um, from Alex, Alex Garland. Garland. Um, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. All episodes written and directed by him as well, so that's uh, really interesting to see him get to explore like the themes that he likes to explore in long form, man. Uh, sort nice. of about a massive quantum uh, computer that can accurately model now, or they are trying to make accurately model scenes from the past, um, as well as recreating scenes from the future as well. It's that powerful. It's got that much data in it that can it can start to show you actual images. Um, so you get right. to see some very spooky things, uh, such as uh, Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross and speaking in Ar Aramaic. Um, Marilyn Monroe and Arthur Miller um, having some private time. Um, all of these <laughs> strange snippets from history, and it's all accompanied by very strange visuals and uh, really 
really effective, pulsating, scary score. Um, it's absolutely, yeah, it's it's very atmospheric. It's completely in Alex Garland's wheelhouse in the best possible way. Um, deals with all the fear of technology and discusses uh, issues like determinism and fate and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, all wrapped up in a very uh, meditative, spooky uh thriller basically it's really well done okay. um and is it also, an anthology series or is it a like you follow one character or a series of characters through the story yeah absolutely we're following a bunch of characters um sort of the most uh compelling i guess for me of which would be nick offerman's character he is the head of uh of the devs who are working on this fantastical machine uh, and he is a wonderful like co-lead for a show he's got a lot of gravity mm. a lot of talent man it's really he's nice fantastic. seeing him flexing the serious muscles again as well which is really appreciated i guess the million dollar question just before you carry on with the nick offerman conundrum that's a tv show in itself, yeah yeah it? how beardy is he oh he is beautifully his huge man he's got a very oh, big bushy that's... beard and he is also rocking beautiful hair as well he looks very conditioned because he's a rich uh, sort of reclusive genius uh yeah mm. no he is he is beard level probably uh, the max i have seen him beardy he is that so if you dig alex garland and his style um and you want to see him as i said exploring what he does over an extended i think it's about eight episodes one season and it's done i don't think it leaves us on a cliffhanger but um i, I okay. guess i'll find out in a couple of episodes when i get there and where did you watch that that's on iplayer actually okay yeah i'll check that out actually i still haven't seen men uh, but I've seen a lot of his other work, and I, I really yep. like Alex Collin. In fact, I watched um, Sunshine the other day that he wrote. Ah, I haven't seen that favorites. for a really long time, man. It's a fantastic movie. Oh, really, I mean, it drops the ball. I, I was going to say, off the, the ball end. A little bit towards the end. The third act is yep. a bit wayward, and it gets a bit slashery. That might have been studio interference. Who knows? But Danny Ball's visuals, and especially the sound design in Sunshine, is just fantastic. Um, great performance. It's a nice ensemble cast. I'd love to see that in the cinema, and I should email the Prince Charles and see, and obviously they'll listen to me, to see if they can get a screening going, because <laughs> it would be fantastic on the big screen. Well, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been watching, I guess. Should we talk about some race horses and make some movies out of them? Let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Okay, so let's pitch some horses. Where are we going to go? Or where have we gone? We have gone uh, to the lovely shores of Ireland um, for the 105 Gorham Park uh, standard race card on the 26th of January 2023. Nice. So at the end of this episode, after we've done our pitching, mm -hmm. we all pick horses for each other for a future race, and which will then be the, the premise and the titling of the future episode, right? Absolutely, yes. Cool. So we've already done this before the pilot's gone out. We privately offline chose these horses. So what horses did we pick for each other? Yeah, I picked for you uh, six hands in my pocket. And for me, what did you give me again? I believe that I gave you Ricky Langford. Yes, you absolutely did. Yes, indeed. So what the idea here is that we're just going to go and pitch our movies. I'm not sure how detailed yours is, your pitch, and you don't know how detailed my pitch is. It's to, spoiler alert. It's not very detailed, so there might be some there might be some questions asked where we develop things and try and build the story together, or it might be that you just sit back and listen and let the movie wash blow over, over me. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be sat back I'll in my mind cinema, man. You just uh, yeah. tell, tell me when I need to interject. <laughs> okay, so who's going to go first? Six hands in my pocket or Ricky Langford? Who do you fancy? 
Oh, the list is long and distinguished, but I think that you should go first. So, Ricky Langford, Tales of a Nearly Was Has Been. So we're going to open on the outside of an old boozer, and there's a sign outside it on one of those sandwich boards saying, The Great Chimp Spectacular, two shillings on it. So we go into the Raucous pub, the old Joanna's playing. There's a tiny little stage on a filthy carpet behind the staff-only piss-off sign on a door. And then we go into a frantic changing room behind the door where we meet Ricky Langford's mum in front of a tiny mirror, putting on makeup, adjusting a really quite amazing outfit, really standing out in this sort of grubby, half-lit changing room that they've uh, all crammed themselves into. Uh, Beside her is Frankie, a little girl about 10 who's helping adjust Ricky's mum's outfit. We move across from the corner of the room where we see Ricky in a young ringmaster's outfit. Again, weirdly resplendent in this absolute uh, shithole of a pub. Uh, He's deep in conversation with a young mate of his, Jack, who's got his hands on Ricky's shoulders. It looks like he's sort of pepping him up, giving him a really good talk. There's a scream of a monkey. The camera whips around to the father, a sort of giant version of Ricky with his top hat and his tails matching. He's got one chimp at his feet, all dressed up to the nines, whistle and boot, all of that kind of stuff. And the other one is in his arms as he tries to fit some kind of suppository into the poor creature. We hear Ricky's mum saying, Oliver, darling, must you? And the dad swings round, inserts and says, it gives him pep, Marjorie, pep. (laughs) There's a throaty, phlegmy announcer, starts to introduce the family. The chimps are pushed out the door, followed by young Ricky in front of the sputtering spotlight in front of a squealing microphone, and he says, what's for tea? And that's where we start the film. So we start off getting a little slice of Ricky's life. Um, The loving but somewhat distant parents who seem to fuss over the chimps like quite a a lot more than they do Ricky. Uh, He's got a real natural charisma. He loves the stage. He can just take to it like a chimp to (laughs) the trees, I guess. To a PG tips advert. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I do not condone any kind of animal cruelty or the use of animals in this way, by the way. I think it's very disgusting and we will show that, uh, you know, this is not the way to treat animals. Uh, Well, we've already shown that with the suppository. Exactly. This is not a good thing. (laughs) It's not a funny thing. This is what his dad's doing and he's a kind of... He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he'll do anything to make some cash, basically. And that gives mm-hmm. the monkeys pep, and that will get him working through the show. That's how he thinks. He's not a nice man. Mm-hmm. He's a rough man. The, the parents look at Ricky, and they just say, he can take care of himself. He's a good lad. He loves the stage. Look at his face when he's up there. He's doing well. He's got Frankie with him. He's got Jack with him, who they've basically adopted into this weird family of theirs. They all look after him. They all look after each other. We can concentrate on sewing outfits, booking gigs, getting more money. We need to keep making money. We've got to tour the worst kind of pubs in the country if we have to. We're not going to get anywhere up to Blackpool, which is the dream, because we're too niche. We're never going to get there, but we'll make enough, Bob, if we can, by touring around the country kind of a thing. So Frankie is always there for young Ricky. She's a real confidant. um, And Jack is also the same. He helps to get Ricky's head straight, make sure he's where he needs to be, keeps to his rehearsals, make sure he's there when the terror of going on stage hits uh, poor young Ricky, which it always does, despite how much he bloody loves it. But despite the terror, Ricky is a complete natural. He loves it. His warmth and his energy, they translate directly to the crowd. It helps them forget their worries on mass for an hour or so, and Ricky thinks that's a really sweet gift to give someone. Mm-hmm. And it's what's his um, what's his stick? Sorry, what's his? So piece? he's kind his of a, his party piece. He's a catchphrase. 
comedian is how he's been built. He's a right. cute little kid that played around with the chimps and where's my tea? Well, the chimps were all getting fed right. and looked after and that was him sat in the corner, prat falling over a table, everything spilling okay. over him. Mum, nice. where's my tea? And that's what's... Well, we'll come to haunt him during the duration of this, of okay. course, as you can imagine. And so that's what they're up to. It was a song and dance kind of a thing. He can do a bit of everything. It involved a lot of chatter. He had to do a lot of chatter, which he's very good at. As I said, he's natural up on stage. It involved working with the animals, which was chaos, but he managed. It involved a lot of physicality. He's a cute kid. Um, He's got a catchphrase, and it starts to catch on. People start to recognise him around the towns, the villages, the village halls, the God knows where's that they start to perform, the old boozers, etc. But the chimps are ageing, and they get retired after a bit of bother at the show. Uh, and all the pep in the world is not going to get them on stage, not without them pulling off a face or two on the way kind of a thing. They need to be retired gracefully, by the way, and not retired in a euphemistic fashion. They're given away okay. to a zoo because they cannot look after the animals anymore. So, dear old Mar focuses on Ricky, gets his dad to sew together both of the chimped outfits into one outfit for her beautiful little star, Ricky, and he's pushed up on stage. And the catchphrase keeps keeps continuing to catch on he gets the bug he loves making people happy there's a scout in the audience for the palladium you'll be dancing for the queen's son not even the chimps did that the parents are absolutely Mm. ecstatic man he's taken off they cannot believe Mm. their luck so ricky starts to be pushed more he carries the act he provides for the family he's suddenly in the big leads and he has started to enjoy a little pep of his own competing against the likes of arthur askey morecambe and wise Ken Dodd, who he takes an instant dislike to. He fucking hates Ken Dodd. (laughs) Why are we picking on Ken Dodd? Because he's too happy. He he despises him. He absolutely despises something that deeply unsettles him. He's picking the happiest man who is enjoying his job the most and is the most successful. It's kind of telling that Ricky would choose him as a nemesis, man. (laughs) So it also doesn't help that Ken Dodd's agent books every gig that Ricky goes for. They're always ahead of the game, man. It's not irrational. Mm. It's a a hatred because he knows that if he honed himself, disciplined himself, took less of the pep, concentrated on his act, he could probably be doing the thing that Dodd's doing. But they're just a more professional outfit, right? Yeah, exactly. And they are because these guys Mm. are just childhood friends, man. There's nothing that, you know, they're learning, they're all learning on the job, man. And he's having to learn on the job to support the family kind of. So that gives them that kind of us and them chip on his shoulder right from the get-go, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He can't be happy with where he is because he's not where he wants to be and he'll always want to be somewhere else. And it's finger pointing. It's because you've got a better agent. You get first, you're first of the bowl. You've got props, um, you've got puppets, you've got diddy men, you've got a feather duster. All I've got is my mouth. And I used to have chimps. I haven't even got them anymore. It's that kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. You know? Okay. So he's, he's in that kind of a scene. Um, but he's doing well. And despite everything, Jack being the wheeler dealer, he knows what he's up to. And he's also, as I said, learning on the job and he's learning pretty well. He's taking to it like a duck to water managing uh, Ricky beyond just helping him get to where he needs to go when he's a kid. He's stepped up now. They're in their 20s and he's actually starting to get him bookings. And he gets him, to his credit, Ricky's own TV show. Frankie comes in to help him constantly with the rehearsals. And actually, she's turning out to be a far better writer than Ricky is for the material that he does. So he gets her on board as well and keeps her on board because he knows that he's now starting to rely on these people quite a lot because he's he's not really pulling his side of the bargain, man. He's letting down the triangle slightly. He's getting lost, thinking that he's made it because now he's got a TV show and his mum and dad are over the flipping moon, as you can imagine. Oh, little boy on telly, I wouldn't believe it. That kind of stuff, man. 
is he got a nagging doubt that even though he's amazing, he's actually quite, he relies too much on other people. Like he doesn't actually have the talent to create the stuff that he's famous for. He can just perform. He's a mouthpiece. That's what he feels, yeah. But then there there is that immediate natural charisma that we witnessed when he was younger and we saw we've seen slowly fade away. We, We know he had it as well. And the problem is that it's easier for him to rely on other people and he doesn't have to try because he's still doing well enough. And that is constantly hitting at him. That's constantly going at him. That's a compelling uh, bite for a, for an actor to get hold of, isn't it? Absolutely. For the char- for the character, that kind of, that niggling doubt, that behind the cracks, I'm not quite, I'm a bit of a fraud. Yeah. But he's kind of happy. But 20-year-old Ricky isn't particularly cute. And any satisfaction he used to get from making people laugh gets sucked away the more and more episodes of this sort of like low-rent, some mothers do have them kind of TV show. What's my tea? Is still haunting him. That's still the thing Mm. he says at the end of every episode to his long-suffering wife. That what's for tea? He's he's had enough, man. It's really wearing him down. So he falls in with the punk scene. He sort of floats around. He wants to try and find something that can allow him to channel this anger and self-destruction that he's feeling. He falls in with the punk scene, mainly because there's a lot of pep kicking around those kind of gigs and that kind of scene. He kind of likes the violence, he likes the anger, but it all kind of makes him feel a bit more square and a bit more like the cute little boy he was, even more out of touch, because he hasn't got a flipping clue what anyone's talking about or rallying about or angry about, because that's not the world he's lived in for his entire life uh during this he meets peter cook but all peter cook does is give him more anger and a taste for more booze uh doesn't give him focus and direction it's not this great worldly oh i've met my oracle it's just another notch in his sort of sad decline down into uh, obscurity ricky starts to feel disturbed at the distraction his show provides people seem to be angry the country seems angry we're getting into the sort of late 70s 80s now man there are strikes all the time thatcher the falklands war mass unemployment ricky feels kind of fraudulent for just keep on puking funny porridge into people and that's it he's not bringing anything to the party he wants to say more um the show turns into an even worse version of some mothers do have them Frankie's starting her own career at this point. She's too frustrated at getting stymied by uh, the studio at every turn. Uh, She's doing a stand-up career, and actually she's doing extremely well at it. She's much more natural, heartfelt, truthful, and funnier than Ricky is. Uh, Imagine his dismay at witnessing that. So Ricky and Jack are told the show is set to be replaced by, of course, a run of Ken Dodd TV specials. (laughs) Yes. And he's told this just before Ricky's going to go and promote his latest and we've just found out final season on a live talk show um on the show ricky launches a foul messy completely misguided tirade against Mm. a politician he falsely believes is there to represent the government when in fact they're not uh he makes a complete horrific fool out of himself and he gets nasty and i'm talking like oliver reed when he goes on Mm -hmm. parkinson and he's swinging around his arms and doing that kind of song it's just scary man seeing someone that big and out of control so public yeah. That wrecks nearly Jack's reputation, of course, because he's kind of been flying on uh, young Ricky as much as Ricky's been relying on him. And it completely wrecks that of the sweet what's for tea, Ricky, because he's not a nice family man like he portrays in his show. He's proven himself to be quite a uh, unhinged person when he wants to be. Jack leaves. He gets a break managing mid-level TV celebrities, booking game shows, stuff like that. Frankie gets more gigs, starts to make a real name of herself. Uh, His parents are distant. 
because they just can't fathom why he would mm. give up the thing that they wanted for so long and that he has mm. been on telly and he's bloody made it and he's just tipped it all away. They, they can't understand the pressure that they've put on him. Nope. Or anything like that. They can't, they, they can't grasp No, that. all they see is the fact that he has wasted the opportunity they yeah, gave him. That they've, that they've given him. Absolutely. The gift yeah. is chucked right back in their face, as mm. you can imagine. So Ricky drinks and peps his way into obscurity further and further. When his money runs out finally, he uses the little notoriety he's still got to do some stand-up gigs. But that's stuck up in the Northern Club circuit. And it's moved on to darker territory. He finds himself lost amongst Mannings, Roy Walkers, Chubby Browns, Jethro's, Davidson's. The opposite mm. of the unifying laughs that he used to give, as stupid and empty as those laughs used to be. Uh, all of it based on division and difference. And he starts to join in his sets of tirades against perceived wrongs against him. During part of it, he dresses as a diddy man and beats a rough dummy of Dodd around the stage. And it gets all intense. There are tears. He shouts, rages, vents, vents his spleen. He's got little focus and he hasn't got any clue about how to put any anger into his prose. At his lowest slump, he's given the talk by Jim Bowen. He says, you're a good lad, Rick, and I'll give you the ball <laughs> if you want it. And all he says is, fuck off, Jim. Go give it to Dodd. Wow. Wow. So at the depth of all of this, one night uh, after he's done his set, he wanders around and he watches a few comedy shows and gets really fucking pissed off that everyone is so much better than him and they're all luckier than he is and they all get the breaks when he doesn't get any of the breaks. And then he sees Frankie doing a headline and he's blown away by her act and we focus on him as he's watching her do her thing on stage. And in this is kind of the first time in the film that we've seen him smile and laugh since we saw him as a boy. And it's beautiful. His face flipping lights up, man. It's marvellous. And he is completely lost. He's forgotten all about himself. And he's being transported like he used to transport audiences. And it feels absolutely incredible. And he goes up at the end and he's, I'm so, I'm so sorry to bother you. Or I, I just need to know, like, what, what's your secret? How do you do that? Tell me how to do that. You used to write for me. Tell me how to do that. And she just says, well, I'm sober and I've got a bit of fucking empathy, Ricky, love. All you do is shout at people <laughs> for an hour. But she's a good friend, man. She gives him a number. He uses it. They work together a little and Ricky starts to improve, drink less, swear less, stops fighting the audience. He tells a bit, few more stories about his life. Um, and some of the barbs that he does throw out against the state of things are more pointed. They're a bit more true because he's sober enough to string some thoughts together and actually make up his mind on his own about what he feels about the situations that cause him consternation and whatnot. His comeback of sorts is like enough to cause obviously a stir on the circuit. Everyone likes a uh, a uh, a comeback kid, and that's what Ricky is doing at the minute. He books a few bigger venues. Jack calls in. They're so happy to be reunited as, as happy he was to see Frankie again. Um, so Jack feels kind of bad about just leaving Ricky behind and going off with Des O'Connor as you would, um, <laughs> and he offers him an olive branch uh, and says, "I'll help you again if you want. I've got a few better contacts, mate." It starts to go pretty well. Ricky's smashing it. Ricky's gigging a lot. Ricky's getting a lot and a lot of acts. He's getting a lot of bookings, man, which is a really tiring job. <laughs> Unless you've got a little pep. Right, here we go. So unfortunately, the old ways start to set in like that, man. And funnily mm. enough, he's had six weeks of good luck and not going <laughs> to get in the way of the uh, 10 years, 20 years of training he's given himself in self-destruction, man. So Jack says, look, we've got this thing coming up. 
we've got Annika Royce doing this million pound celebrity giveaway thing. So if you're up for it, they want you on the panel there, man. You're going to be geeing up the crowd. You're going to be getting the money rolling in. It's going to be fantastic, man. There's going to be a big old box of cash on the set. They're going to be filming it live. It's going to be a really big TV event. We think it's going to be really good for you, man. Winton's going to be there. John Leslie's going to be there. It's, you know, this big 90s uh, jamboree, man. You might even get Jules mm-hmm. Holland if you're lucky. So he goes a bit too full of himself and many other substances and decides that it would be absolutely hilarious and deeply satirical and really clever if this beautiful million pounds that is displayed in front of him and the audience, he took a bit of a lunge at and set a light with a decently aimed bit of booze and a cigarette that he was smoking. Just to set fire to it? Yep. KLF so Absolutely, man. He's like, yeah, I'll show him. I'll show him. Wasting money, is it? That's all I've seen all my life being money being wasted by bloody them. Them, whoever they are, he doesn't bloody know. He hasn't got a point, has he? But <clears> nonetheless, <throat> there's his great act. And he manages to fight off security, John Leslie, Dale Winton, Jules Holland, who's come <laughs> out from the behind security. <laughs> yeah, yeah, times were hard, man, early 90s. <laughs> times were hard. Uh, and, he, and he managed to fight him off long enough for about £300,000 to burn live on air. Christ, Christ. And then the next line, it's just, it's prison. That's all it is, man. There's no other choice. Yeah. He's assaulted a lot of people. He's criminal damage. He's got to be in there. But that's where he learns to keep his head down, to take a few hits, not even physically, just to his misaligned ego. He signs up mm-hmm. to therapy after long enough of doing absolutely nothing because he's kind of sure that doing absolutely nothing is kind of what he's done his whole life up to now and he needs to do something there he bonds with the group leader greg this big sweet embezzling uh teddy bear of a man uh who starts to encourage ricky to share himself more to be more truthful uh he gets clean because he has to uh, despite it being in prison he avoids any of those temptations he finds it easier because he's got a strict regime to live to he's got very, very, very clear rules, probably for the first time in his life, in fact, and a very uh, clear home as well for the first time mm-hmm. in a long time. And he's got, again, he manages to find, because of his warmth and his charisma, he manages to build those friends around him, a little like Frankie, a little like Jack. And Greg becomes one of those friends. So he gets clean, he starts to work on his craft a lot more himself, not relying on Frankie, not communicating with her and Jack. He doesn't know how to <clears> at all. And he starts to learn a lot of blistering honesty honesty underneath uh, Greg's tutelage to do, and he starts to do little gigs in the prison yard, then in a lunch hall, building his story, getting it ready to tell. And then we cut to seeing um, Frankie and Jack, they get delivered a couple of envelopes, and uh, they open them up, and on that card, they're opening it up separately. We get to see a bit of their lives and where they're at now. Frankie is doing incredibly well uh she's just about to go on to a uh, panel show or something like that and <laughs> uh, jack is working with more and more big names he's got morgan and wise now on his uh, gig he's helped nice. to get ken dodd a couple of shows and he'll never tell uh, ricky that but he has and he was a very very nice man and inside those envelopes <laughs> um are a picture uh, and an invitation to the great chimp spectacular only with Ricky's old and actually really happy-looking face superimposed on each of the chimps. And inside is simply, I'm sorry, please come. And so we go back to the pub that has been renovated and is actually quite a nice uh, eatery now. And so he goes back to this boozer and outside is the same old sign for that chimp spectacular. And then we go backstage and we see Ricky alone, calm, quiet, 
happy, smiling, relaxed, sat just looking at himself in the mirror, getting ready to go on stage. And we follow him out to the spotlight and the squealing microphone. And he starts with a what's for tea. And then he starts delivering not his old stick, but the beautiful new routine about his entire life and how he got there and his friends. And it's this massive uh, apology to himself um, and to Jack and to Frankie. And we cut to the back of the room where Jack and Frankie are completely in tears, uh, absolutely uh, overcome with emotion, seeing their friend finally be the person that they thought he could after however many years it is they've seen him fail. And at the end, uh, Jack goes up to him and says, well, you had to make it all about you, didn't you, you prick? <laughs> Gives him a massive hug and he goes on to be happy and to do very well for himself. And he is, uh, and that is the last we see of uh, Mr. Ricky Langford. That was fantastic. I loved that. There is so much to for an actor or a cast to get their, get their teeth into there. It's a proper kind of rise and fall and rise again story, character study of this guy. Director-wise, you're going to have to get someone who's going to be able, and a casting agent who's going to be able to fulfil these, the requirements. You've got generations of very famous, very successful yes. uh, comedians and celebrities to navigate this and, film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to navigate as we go through. I really like that we get go from like 70s up to 90s. But that rise, or the end of traditional stand-up, the rise of alternative comedy, not understanding that, the Freddie Stars and whatnot getting kind of sidelined then and then coming back, and that kind of that murky water, I think, could be really interesting yeah. for casting. Yeah, and we and and, and we can uh, you know fit in some world events, obviously, because that's the mm. kind of thing that make him feel pretty helpless. You got like punk in there. We can have some cameos mm. around there. We have got to find someone to play Peter Cook and Jim Bowen, uh, obviously. <laughs> can we get the young ones in there? Oh yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. He should go. He sh- uh, that's after one of his acts. He goes along to see that, and he heckles him or something because he just doesn't understand that he's like, well, what are these yeah. kids doing messing around up on there? The Dangerous Brothers or Ben Elton and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Oh, and then maybe later on he tries to do something like that because you said earlier he, he's trying these things, but he's just doing pay limitations because he just doesn't get it. Yeah. And he doesn't have Frankie backing him up with the writing or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got to learn for himself and he just refutely doesn't. He just tries to take the easy way all the time just by hmm. borrowing other people's shtick, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, who have you got? Who would you direct? Well, I was thinking it, it depends how, because we're doing like the the through the ages, we've got a lot of yeah. uh, famous people playing famous people, uh, lots yeah. of cameos, all of that. I was like Michael Winterbottom out the gate, man. <laughs> Top of the list yes, for me as right, well, yeah. Right, absolutely. I was the 24 hour party people or um, Cock and Ball Cock Story. Cock and Ball Story, yep. Yeah. Yeah, he would be fantastic. He would nail the, the movement through time. And the casting would just be spot on. You wouldn't have to worry. Safe pair of hands. Yep. You know, I in the best, in best possible of, way, as yeah. in like he is a yeah. great pair of hands for it. Absolutely. Man. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that was, yeah, that's kind of, that's as far as I got almost really, man. I had Shane Meadows. I, I, I have him as my second. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But that, um, where, how, because he's quite fun as a director, Shane Meadows. Yeah. He's got a lot of yeah, love he, he and life a lot of into empathy him. And he's great at friends. Uh, like groups yes. of mates, like this is England and stuff. He can have that uh, dynamic. He would get absolutely. He can now. get the detail. Yeah, he can get the detail actually spot on. I've also got Paddy Considine as well. I think he would 
work um, he would get whomever we or whomever you cast in the um, Ricky role, he would get you'd hope it an absolute powerhouse of a performance out because obviously he is one of the finest actors working today. Yeah, and the internal um, conflicts that Ricky is going through and all that. I mean, if Paddy was younger, he'd make a fantastic Ricky. That's the I thing. He might, yeah, he might have aged out of the role slightly. Yeah, but that just means he's, he's into the role of the father, man. Like that's absolutely oh, the father. Yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah who I can yeah. see that. Um, I guess for Ricky, because we're going to have obviously kids are going to be playing the kids. We're not going to de-age them that much. Um, So after that, when he comes into adulthood, I think probably a bit too old. Um, uh, Maybe, but like uh, maybe a Jamie Bell or someone like that. Mm -hmm. I think he would do Mm. because he is, he's got massive chops, but he might, I'm not sure he might be a little old. I'm not sure. He's quite relatively he's quite speaking. Young. I mean, he's old in the years he's been on the earth, but I think he's quite fresh faced. So okay, I think you, you could. I mean, what? How old is um, Ricky when he tops out? And this, we leave him what, like thirty, thirty-five. Yeah, it will be. Yes, yeah, yeah, it will be around that man. So yeah. that's not. He can he do could, that, and you could young him up yeah. enough and acting yeah, young. Uh, maybe Jack O'Connell as well, because. That's a good shout. I think he could. He, he's got a lot of the rage. He's very good at anger, man. Oh, Crikey, he is very handsome. Though, That's the he? only problem. I was trying to think of a way to like ugly him up. No offense. No, actually, <laughs> none offense. It's impossible to be offended by that, Jack. If you're listening. And now I'm about to get offensive to a whole world of comedians, <laughs> but in the 70s, it was not like we were looking at. The sexiest men and women alive. Yes, where we absolutely. Uh, so we need someone to reflect that. But now I don't want to name anyone. <laughs> but now I don't want to name anyone either because now you're going to say that there were... No, Mackenzie Crook? You'd want a, what would you... You'd call them a character actors, wouldn't you? I yes, I think that's the, 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 the okay. right term. Like, Sorry, uh, t- I apologise Maybe uh, the entire acting community. Thomas Turgus. Yes. Uh, and he'd be a shoo-in if we had um, uh, Shane, Meadows. Shane Meadows directing, absolutely. I've got my number two choice, which is odd because he's probably... Well, he's definitely a bigger name. But he's my number two is Barry Cogan. Oh, that's a very swearing good choice, man. Holy moly. Yes, 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 yes. He's my number two. He's got the perfect look as well. He's got the perfect look. Um, He can do sweet and empathetic and rage. He can do everything. That kid can do everything. So I would hit, but my number one choice above Barry Cogan, if that is even possible, my number one choice, choice is Joseph Gilgan. Oh, mm, mate, Cassidy, absolutely, Cassidy in from uh, Preacher, Preacher, and of course, and of course from um, this is England, this is England, eighty six, oh. nineteen ninety two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his TV show Brassic. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, which I haven't seen, but I've heard it's very good. He does pathos like no other man, like and anger, yeah, and frustration. And I, you could, I could. He's got this really kind of young show. De Niro. Uh, edge about him where when he when Joseph Gilgit as Ricky is at the back of the room like watching Ben Elton do his mm-hmm. stick and not getting it but getting jealous it's difficult to get jealous about something that you don't understand I guess but he would be able to sell that in his eyes and just like you can imagine the camera moving through the crowd to the back of the room where he is he's smoking he's biting on his nails or something it's just all in his eyes the whole 
um, human emotion that he's going through, the whole drama of everything. Yeah, I think Joseph Gilgan would smash right, it. Mate, that is absolutely incredible shout. Yes, yeah, 100% he's hired. And he would work with either of the people that we've mentioned as director. Mm-hmm. This is all slotting into place perfectly. I might swap um, Jack O'Connell as Ricky uh, to Jack O'Connell for Jack, maybe, because he would do okay. a better um, flash, talky, yeah. um, best mate kind of a thing, man. Yeah, I've got... He might pull focus a little bit, but I think he can do that. I've got, for Jack, I've got Joel Fry, mainly because I am in love with Joel Fry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But he could do a good good sidekick, mate. He could bring a bit of humour, and he's really good at acting like he's out of his depth, like like just being a bit awkward, but cracking on, but just being a little bit awkward and not the smartest person in the room. He's very good at that kind of... That, yeah. Quizzical expressions. Yeah. And stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, has a ton of like uh, empathy, man. Like, again, he's one of those mm. people that I can, and we need uh, all three of the group to have that warming center to them because there's a reason mm-hmm. they all bonded when they were young, etc. And I want to believe that bond as we're going through and it shatters and whatnot. And I think that they'd be able Absolutely. to work that together really well. Absolutely. And who have you got for Frankie? Uh, I went Gemma Arterton for Frankie. Um, okay, slightly older. That's the thing, yeah. So I might need to pitch a bit long, younger. We could do uh, Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. I've got Felicity Jones. I would love to see her free from the trappings of, uh, I think Rogue One was maybe the last time I uh, engaged. I, I don't know. I can just see her in that period costumes, um, not... I've just re- reduced her to like wearing a dress, <laughs> but I know I could see her in that setting. I could see her um, working quite well for that role. Yeah, yeah. And she's the right age. She's age appropriate, I think. Yeah, around the same window as the other guys, kind of. And it doesn't yeah. matter if they shift a couple of years between each other. We can absolutely go up a little, go down a little. That's not a problem, man. You know, Ricky is the the uh, the one that this is all hinging around. The other guys can be uh, mm. sort of like slightly older, slightly younger around that. I think, man. Florence Pugh is a good shout. Yeah, yeah. She's a good shout for everything. That, that's kind she? of the thing. And again, like, yeah, yeah, I think she would work, man. Amazing. I love that. That is so cool. I appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Uh, there you go. I mean, that we could we could definitely develop that into a screenplay or a short story I, or a novella. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, it, it felt good. It was great. I really enjoyed Ricky Langford, and hopefully we can hear more from that in the future if you decide to develop it further and write it up that would be great yeah watch this space and until then enjoy it in your mind cinemas people and i guess that leaves it to me now to drop the very large ball of this podcast and move on to my pitch for a horse named six hands in my pocket my pitch for a film named six hands in my pocket now your pitch was quite detailed it was quite fleshed out. It was quite fully formed. It was uh, a treatment that we went through story beat by story beat. And because we like to do things with contrast and conflict, mine is not quite like that. My pitch is pretty um, pretty open. There's some bullet points here. There's some character names. There's some things that happen. There's a setting. And then there's the filmic influences that I've chucked in. And then from that, maybe we could work together to figure out what's going to happen, what the actual kind of set pieces might be. Yeah, or, okay. you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to see if this works. 
uh, nicely compared to your full-blown treatment. Exactly, man. This is our first episode. We're fleshing these things out. We're testing these things out. I'm sure our very patient listeners do not mind being guinea pigs for sections such as this. And uh, we want to have some fun and try and flesh out an idea together as well at the same time. That sounds fantastic, man. Yeah. Okay. So let's do it. Right. So six hands in my pocket. Okay. So we start in a town, in a plane deserty kind of plain town. A guy comes into town with some heavies. The bad guy. We introduce the bad guy immediately. Okay. This is Bo Badham. (laughs) (laughs) Bo Badham comes into this western town with his group of heavies. And he uh, calls them out onto the town square. So in like a proper western kind of, I'm calling you out. Dun! Exactly. The townspeople come out, they assemble around him. Obviously, he's, you know, well-suited and nicely turned out, and they're all kind of making uh, making their way in the world and trying to eke a living from the bare resources that they have to, at their disposal. And uh, Bo Badham collects money from them all, and he's collecting their tides, uh, their protection money, and the protection money is to protect them from him. Of course. If you don't pay if you don't pay me, bad things are gonna happen. They look around, they see that his men are covered in like ash and soot. They've already been to a neighboring place and like burnt down the church. They they're collecting things, and if you don't have enough money. So they, they pay him, they pay Bo Badham and his men. And then before he leaves, he says, Oh, as you know, one more thing in a Columbo. <laughs> as you know, the tournament is coming very soon. I need workers. So I'm taking workers. So against their protest, the money was not enough. Against their protest, he collects some able able men and able women and he rounds them up. Twist the first happens now as we <laughs> as he as he leaves the town and he, and we pan away. It pans to this starship which he boards them on. So we're in kind of like Whoa. brave star we're in like brave star territory oh. now. Like space western kind of thing. <laughs> Fireflies or anything. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So he he boards them in, onto his starship or whatever you want to call it, leaves atmosphere, and then star jumps or whatever. Not star jumps. That's the <laughs> well, No, you've got to keep fit in space, man. That's, you've got to keep fit in space. It's There's a no good gravity. message. We'll it. slide this in. <laughs> he warp jumps or whatever. I don't know science fi- sci fi. <laughs> I don't care. He hightails it out there. Where he engages his faster than light drive is what he does, God damn exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he used the space accelerator and he goes <laughs> to where he's got. Yeah, he used the there machine to get there. The there machine. Yeah. I figured in sci fi, to make anything sound like sci fi, if you just put space in front of it, <laughs> like the space chair. Yeah, yeah, he sat in his space sci-fi. chair and he took a space journey. And how he got there is none of your space business. <laughs> exactly. So he gets the space people onto his spaceship and space jumps to his place. Right? And he arrives at the town called Alice, which is this lawless spaceport um, that he runs. And he's Bo Badham's good time casino <laughs> and bordello is like the, the hub of this spaceport. Right. And it's no one knows where it is. That's kind of one of his powers. It's cloaked is or whatever. It's cloaked. So it's hidden. Yep. And he, he, teleports or space jumps to the neighboring star systems, whatever, to collect his tides and people when he needs them, teleport out or whatever it is out to his place. So they don't know where these people have gone. Yep. They've just gone somewhere. 
and you can seek out this pleasure dome of a spaceport. There's, you know, there's gambling, there's drinking, there's all the vices that you get in these kind of horrible places. So sort of like a kind of, space titty twister from yeah, from Dusk a space titty twister without yeah, the vampires. Without vampires. So it's a space reaper barn or a space red light district, I guess. Like it's those that seek it out want to be there. Those that find themselves there by accident never usually leave. Yeah, yeah they're there for a very specific reason and that's to be exploited. Exactly. Yeah. So he's at he's at this town called Alice, this horrible, dangerous place, and there's um a tournament approaching. Every year he has this big um week long tournament. And it's kind of the main, maybe the only time that general heirs of civility come to this place because there's like poker tournaments, there's shooting tournaments, there's horse wrangling. You know, when I don't know what it's called, when, you, when you're like riding on horses and they have to kind of, as they're riding, they bend down and they scoop stuff off the ground and they yeah, horsey picky up buckets. Horsey picky uh, sorry, up. space horsey picky up. Space horsey picky up. Doing all these like horse tricks and like equestrian, I guess, but a bit more yeah, dangerous. Yeah, more like a, a, more um, a rodeo, uh, rodeo sort of yeah. style, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they got all these things going on, and at the end of the tournament, obviously, there's a big prize money for whoever wins the the poker tournament. That's the big main event. It's the poker tournament. Okay, okay. But also, it's a good excuse. It's also kind of like a networking event, like the. There's a hive of scum and villainy for this tournament. People can come and get work. They can also get robbed and murdered. And it's a good excuse to also make settle some Settle some scores at the same time settle as some, well. Some, settle some scores. Yeah. Everyone comes in, right? So the tournament is is approaching. This is why he needs these people, these volunteers, so to speak, to help man it. Okay, so you, you arrive at the spaceport. You get this kind of tour. You see what's going on. You kind of, you're introduced to this world. And so... We then cut, as you go in, it then cuts to one week later. And Bo Badham is at the podium in his in his saloon, I guess. He's announcing the finalists, the final table for the poker tournament, for the, the big shot prize. And he announces the six people who are going to be on that. So he announces, I've got the names. So he announces Declan Six Hands Dice. <laughs> he announces Wing Chun. Django the Bear Strangler. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Colt 45 Kid, Trudy Dujardin, and Moon Across the Water. So very kind of archetypical Western kind of characters, I guess. So they all set the table for the final (laughs) card game. And as as the game starts, we then get, it breaks into a series of vignette scenes or like 10 minute vignettes where we follow each character, their backstory and how they go through the tournaments, how they get to the table and why they're there. Wicked. So it's a kind of um, Sergio Leone, John Rashomon kind of Western-ish. Rashomon yep. kind of yep. thing. Yeah, where you had these different perspectives, these different people and they all, how, they, how they all got there. And what it transpires is that they're all working together so I've let, I'm going to leap right to the end now, but they're all working together to, to win this tournament because Declan Dice, they're all out for certain, they're all out for revenge, but Declan Dice has assembled this crew to take down the tournament, win all the money, but then also while they're getting eliminated from the table, they get eliminated at certain times so they can go off and do side quests or side missions in this heist 
to set off a beacon or disable the cloaking beacon. Yeah, yeah. So that the port is then now visible to people because Declan has got, from where he came from, which um, was a town a long time ago where Bo Badham stole his sister and stole people and they never saw them again. Um, so he's going to set this beacon so all these other towns and the star systems can come looking and they can exact their revenge and they can all descend upon this town, find their loved ones or find the bodies of their loved ones and find, you know, get some kind of revenge and basically take the whole system down. So one by one on this poker table, this poker tournament, you see the backstories, one by one as they leave, they go on their side missions, one to get into the vault, one to move the... Get the codes whatever it is for they get, get the, codes. the entry yeah. into the uh, cloaking device or whatever the uh, the uh, uh, the spacey hidey machine is. The spacey hidey machine, <laughs> yeah. yes, exactly. Um, and then that's, that's kind of like the, the climax is that they you find out that they're all working together, the heist is pulled off, the system gets um, revealed to the wider galaxy, Bo Badham gets taken out. So that's the skeleton of the story, or the skeleton of the premise. There's lots to flesh out because it's very, very thin on the ground. Yeah, but we've got a sort of uh, hateful eighty kind of a situation. It's, yes. it's got that feel to it, man, where we get a reveal, but we get it quite quickly so we can get on with the actual tension of the movie and whatnot, yeah. man. So my references for this were obviously Ocean's Eleven. Yep. The Quick and the Dead. Uh, I, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. The Magnificent Seven, Brave Star, obviously, and and Rashomon as well for the the change of perspectives, the seeing the different stories and how they've come to this one spot. So we have Bo Badham, and we have he would have like a, a cadre of. Has he got his henchmen as well? Yeah, he's got his henchmen. So they'll be um, they'll be working against our group of heroes. So Declan. Declan Dice, in order to get to this tournament, he's been working and, and his plan of revenge in a Count of Monte Cristo kind of way is to grind it out at the, like, the poker tables to win satellite events, to make a name for himself so that he gets the invite. To get to, to the top table. Tournament. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Get to the t- you, you go to a place, a spaceship will pick you up and space teleports you to where you've got to go. <laughs> That's it, you're blindfolded. Like No one knows where it yep. is. But so as he's been grinding out this thing to get there, his, his thing is... It was a solo mission of revenge. But along his way, he starts meeting other people from other towns that have had similar hardships that have been wrought upon them by Bo Badham and his outfit. So then he starts assembling a crew, a lot of it by accident, a lot of it by chance, a lot of people saying, I know I know what you're doing, I want in. If you don't let me get in, I'm going to be there. So there might even be other people there that aren't part of his crew. And they're working they against them because of... they know and they've got to like either knock them out or take them out depending on what's happening. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think the 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 Django Bear Strangler should mm. definitely like he saves uh, De- Deckard's life like straight at the beginning. I can imagine him mm. in heist movies, which um, Rick Sanchez hates, but I really like when they're assembling the crew. That's like the first part of the um, the first part of the movie. Whereas in this one, you, you, the assemblant of the crew is kind of dotted throughout the timeline of the movie as the card game and the final table is played out. We get the different vignettes, and then as those vignettes get nearer and nearer towards the present time, they start interacting with each other, and you start seeing their their connections. Yeah, 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 and you'll see them leaving the table or getting kicked out of the match and then going and doing mm. their thing, and you might, yeah, yeah, okay. 
has so everyone else has been wronged by Bo. No, maybe not because some people are probably just there for the money, um, and they're the ones who might yeah, do the double every, cross yeah. if that yeah, the, happens. The six at the final table are there. They're they're all the crew. There might be like eight at the final table, mm-hmm. and two are just normal people that just want the money. Okay, but the six the the plan hinges on the six winning their respective tournaments. Like, I don't know, there's a sharpshooting tournament. There's a knife-throwing tournament or whatever. Yeah. And then also winning through the the um, the poker tournament to get to where they are by playing with each other. Yeah, and also, obviously, uh, carrying out the heist at the same time as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, using some of the skills that they have previously shown in the tournaments that they've been involved with yes. at times and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it would be nice if the uh, some of the some of the uh, tournaments we can almost uh, cross cut the heist with the tournaments they're in and show mm-hmm. them doing like the same actions, but obviously completely different results. Whereby he'll throw a knife at a button over there and open up a uh, you know the 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 uh, the, the code the storage door. room and stuff like that. Man, yes, yeah, okay. And then they've some of them that they might not have won their respective tournament that they've come third. And if they come third, it means they get knocked out at a certain time, which allows them because that's when the money train goes past or whatever. They, everything's kind of absolutely time to perfection. But I guess the, uh, the inner sanctum will be where they're playing the tournament and they get the special invite for, I'm imagining like they're playing their tournaments. We see them all like doing really well. And then like one of the head henchmen, whoever that is for Bo comes round and just like slips uh, some kind of shiny looking business card slash token in their pocket and just gets out of there. And that is how you then get the invite and you go off and you meet him at the ship and you get taken to the inner sanctum or whatever it is, which is a more, I guess, uh, calmer, slightly more tech heavy, maybe, um, because it's his, yes, yeah, yeah, a bit more where support, he lives, a bit more plush. Yeah, so yeah. we got a few lasers. I want like not shooty lasers. I'm thinking like <laughs> like uh, sexy uh, dancing through lasers kind of cat right, suit, gotcha. you know, that kind of a thing. But those kind of lasers. That's right. And you'd want one of the characters on that team to be a little bit of a, a live wire, so like maybe Trudy Dujardin or Moon Across the Water or whomever doesn't matter. That they will stick to the plan, but they know that if they ever get. Bo Badham alone or get close to it, then they're just going to take him out. Yep. You know. It's even at the table and that there is a now, so we're around the table, there's like five left mm. and mm. Uh, Trudy, we know, has been chomping at the bit to just put a bullet mm-hmm. through Bo. She doesn't give a monkeys about any kind of money or anything like that, yeah. man. And so obviously classic gun slash space gun in the garter. Space gun. And mm-hmm. you can see like Trudy reaching for it. And at that point, uh, whoever is set, like Deck is sat next to her and he just reaches out and grabs a hand and you're trying to like wrestle. Yeah. There's a real subtle, just like, no, you can't do this, man. And then a little... Or, the, yeah, or they orchestrate a hand whereby she's lost or she loses or he, yeah, or he, he like... frames her a little bit to get to get her out of that situation. Yeah, yeah. So you would have the tensions within the team because everyone wants their everyone wants their revenge and Bo Badham to get their comeuppance, but not everybody wants the same revenge that um, Declan wants. He wants the whole operation to be exposed. He wants people to come find their loved ones. He is much more of a kind of altruistic, whereas the others might just want to kill him. Get it over yeah, with. and if they do that, some other dude, whoever the henchman who's handing out the chips, is just going to step up into there, keep using the cloak yeah, spaceport, yeah, exactly. and keep on doing whatever's happening. Yeah, Declan wants to be smarter about it. Declan's a smart guy, man. Declan six hands dice does not <laughs> does not truck with fools, <laughs> yes. Graham. He does not. He does not. So yeah, that's the kind of the rough outline. And we'd probably have to get some set pieces in there. Some they have to get captured, or one of them has to get 
courts snooping around. Yeah. That kind well, of thing. You, you've got, the heists have to go wrong. Yeah, but you've got the initial, like, uh, Bo rocking up. Uh, Bo Badham. I'm sorry, I just like saying his name. So, <laughs> Bo Badham. It's just, oh, Bo Badham. <laughs> Yeah, he's a bad guy. <laughs> Bo Adam. Yeah. Anyway, stop saying Bo Adam. I can't. Uh, but when he rocks up at the village, you can have a really nice. Um, we're not sure if we're meeting our heroes fighting Bo because, like, some of the like the people as they are getting like knocked around and everyone's arriving up and there's chaos. We're not sure if like any of these are our leads. Man, there's a lot of tension there. You can have a bit of a. Uh, I uh, I'm going to the beginning of I think. Uh, whatever one of the maybe the Force Awakens or something. There's when um, uh, Mo or Kai, Kylo Ren, when Mo, Mo, <laughs> yeah. Hey, are there any lightsabers around Mo. here? <laughs> um. <laughs> Kylo Ren is now called Mo. Yeah, look, I sometimes get uh, my my uh, my cultural references slightly skewed with. Uh, so That's fine. yeah, when Mo turns up and slices yes. Homer's head off on a plat, no, yes. uh, when Kylo Ren rocks up and he's got his force with him and he's clearly just owning mm. and completely taking over the little uh, sort of set- rebel settlement that they mm-hmm. come across, like a scene like that. To- so we've got our opening relatively big scene, yes. but then. Are we having a? We're not going to have a, I guess, a big scene for each of the flashbacks, but we'll have some of the more like Bear Strangler. He's got a big action scene because he's called Bear Strangler. Yeah. So, like, whatever his flashback involves, there's something going on there. But then I want everything to be a clue. So, when we have yeah. these flashbacks, or when we, when the table is announced, the final table, and they all come out, we'll have the similar shots to when we first came to the town with the people arriving, where you'll see like this big, this similar kind of you know, said he came through, but now it's the, the carnival time. And you might see um, a corpse that's been lynched for gambling or for cheating or something mm-hmm. like that. And all the, or, and there might be a really angry um, barman or something like that. All these little details that you're directed towards will then be paid off. And there's reasons why we're showing these things. Everything has, everything's set up. So in the flashbacks, when um, Django, the bear strangler is fighting, he might um, hide something under a, under a wagon or he might break deliberately break a, a pillar which is going to weaken something for later yeah. on so all these every moment every element is kind of calculated yeah so uh the uh whichever guys are taking um uh either a fresh batch of prisoners or something into the inner sanctum for processing like they have to take mm. a different route and because of the broken thing yeah. that the bear has left they've got to take a different route and now suddenly we can have trudy jump down and take them out and get the things she needs from them like the pass goes to get into the inner sanctum yeah. or something like that yeah okay man and each of them are going to have like obviously. So we've got like Deckard six hands dice. I'm I, I'm I'm assuming he's good with a gun. He's quick. Yes, That's he's a card sharp. Excellent. But, yeah, oh, so he, he spinning can deal the cards. Do gambit. Spinning the cards. He's really fast at that. But yeah, he's a sharpshooter. Okay, he needs to throw a card and it gets in the way of a. I'm going back to the lasers, Graham. I'm so sorry, but it's space. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gonna. You're gonna block a laser with a car. Yeah, like definitely, like what, like a sensor. You know, one of those things. And yeah. he just just in the nick of time, just before like the alarm's about to get triggered, he's like, Hum! and it's like, yeah. uh, I'm available for sound effects. Uh, should this film get made, of course. <laughs> so, how old is Bo? Is he like? Has he been doing this for years and years and years and years? Man? Yeah, I, I reckon he's in his fifties. Okay, he's good. the the Gene Hackman in Unforgiven. Or the Gene Hackman in The Quick and the Dead. <laughs> or just the Gene Hackman in life, or man, the, the scary Hackman. older guy. You ain't going to take no, no, no mess from no one, man. Okay, yeah, I, I reckon he's a bit old. I think older, he is, because that, that will then enable him to build up all of the grudges. Not good, you know. that, 
Yeah, and he's not going to recognise many of them. Oh, he does it too well, much. He, he, yeah, he doesn't too much. Right. Been. He's a dude, like, and I was also thinking, if it were space, we could have them as aliens or different creature designs. You can make it a lot weirder and and interesting, and, right. and maybe move away from some of the the western the stereotypes you get in westerns now. I was loath to even write Moon Across the Water because I felt that that might have been a bit too on the nose. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, that sounds, yes. Um, but not if we beautifully abstract all of these uh, potential um, stock characters into something mm. much more fantastical, much more interesting, man, and give them a bit more yeah. agency and, you know, all of that kind of jazz as well. Um, Who, um, director-wise... I'll tell you who I really would like, and I can't remember his name, but it's a movie that I I like way more than I probably should. I don't know. It's great. Sean Levy, I would have. Okay. Because I know he's done lots of, like, Ryan Reynolds-y, very family-oriented, but I really love Real Steel. Okay. Well, I, I've heard that has um, made certain members of the podcast cry, not me. Um, me. in the past, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has it made, has it made both members it of the made, podcast might cry? Maybe a little bit because it's about fathers <laughs> yeah. and sons and robots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not cry. I nearly cried oil. I mean, Terminator 2, mothers and sons and robots, fuck off. <laughs> fathers and sons and robots, give me real steel any day. Oh, holy moly. Uh, yeah, no, that's a really good shout. Okay, man. So we're looking at, and I like that because that brings us back in line with the Ocean's Eleven, the Ocean's mm. series, that kind of fun. There are stakes, absolutely, man. But uh, John Krasinski, I was thinking, going back to, he has yeah. handled space and visuals extraordinarily yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, going, but he's quite, again, a clean director, maybe a bit too distant. He, I'm has he done space? Uh, yeah, he did. Um, it's going to take a while for it to come into my brain, so I'll sing until it does. No, it still hasn't. Uh, Oblivion, it did. There we go. Oh, yeah. that's that's Joe Kosinski. Oh, you said I... John Krasinski. Oh, sorry, I didn't you mean said... him. Joe Kosinski, forgive me. Yeah, not Krasinski, because he did yeah. like A Quiet Place, and I don't agree with yes. that film. So uh, <laughs> I just don't agree with it. Any other films that give you the rumbly tummy as well? <laughs> Just, just doesn't agree with me. I can't possibly digest. Saying antacids, and I'm coughing up tiny little Krasinski's for the rest of the yeah. week. Joe Kosinski did Oblivion and Tron Legacy and Top Gun Bad. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's he exactly who I meant. Um, I'm not sure if he'd bring the fun. No, that's the problem. He's very the energy. Cold. He's very clean. Yeah, he's like he's a very sort of like composed Fincher, cold. but not like yeah. anyway. Uh, so you'd want someone knockabout. Obviously, Soderbergh would be. Good because he did for the time fracturing Ocean's Eleven. He clever. Rian Johnson would be good. He's very good at setup and power and sci-fi and details and sci-fi. Um, little details here and there that you have to pay attention. To. You're kindly directed towards, but not shoved in your face. Yeah, that then pay off later. Which on. brings me to Guy Ritchie. I was just about to say <laughs> Guy Ritchie. He's probably that development has probably led us to the perfect director for this material, which is. Because it's got your geezers playing cards. Exactly. It's got your men on a mission. Yep. You've got your um, Western. He don't think he's ever done a Western, but he'd be very good in that in that sandpit, I think. Yeah, so that was six hands in my pocket. It was a very nebulous, no pun intended, good. pitch. But we put things together. I think, oh, I think one thing we didn't discuss, how the baddie gets his... Well, I was going to ask, what is... 
what what happens at the end because we've revealed him he's still in the poker tournament at this point um mm -hmm. facing off against uh Declan Six Hands obviously who is the master poker player so he is the one who's going to be there to beat him and take the money and they're having their very tense uh playoff and I just had an idea okay for the ending hit me right so he's going to get arrested okay mm -hmm. But he he escapes into his light ship that lights a, his little escape vehicle shippy thing, and he, he's going to star jump while it <laughs> while it teleports away or whatever. I don't know stuff, science fiction stuff. <laughs> so it's going to zoom course. away, and he's like, "Oh no, oh no, he's gonna he's getting away." Yep. So he he hasn't got time to plot his his star course or whatever. So he puts it in, he goes away. But what's revealed is that Trudy. The one who's like been chomping at the bit yeah, to, to kill yep. him. In one of her side quests, she went off mission, and she thought that this might happen. So she reprogrammed his light his light jump thing, and he just light jumps right into the middle of a fucking star. Yeah, and all you get is like, or it like goes up and comes straight back down into the um, yeah, yeah, and right back to them and just lands outside the police station where. And then you'd get the yeah, exactly. Or you'll just crash it, and you'd get that amazing shot of everybody like being, oh, he's gone. And it crashes, and then like one person looks to the left, they look to the left, everyone else look, looks down the line to her, and she's like, well, "Maybe I did something. <laughs> maybe, maybe I did something." You know that time I snuck out for five minutes in the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that will be the last final gag. Yeah, is that they they planned? She knew that he was going to try and weasel his way out of it, but she's beaten to the punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. she gets his comeuppance. And if it's a ridiculous death like that. If you make it funny, then you can get away with it. You don't want him to be like shot to pieces in the street because it's a bit too graphic and brutal. But if he is teleported into the sun or something, I think plunged, or something, plunged into the something sun. Looney Tunes, yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah, something Roger Rabbity would be would work for them. Um, could yeah. we maybe think of if we're if we're casting old Big Big Bo, Big Bo Badham? Mm -hmm. I, I'm going Clancy Brown. Yes. But he's big. Yeah. He's got the um, elder statesman role that you need, like the Hopper in Waterworld mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, um, you, the presence that you need. He's been around. It would, I don't know. I, I, that was the one I thought for, yeah. for him, man, was Clancy Brown. That's a good shout. I want my pick is going to go very against type. Okay. Uh, I want someone charismatic and charming. So that at this carnival, everyone wants to go there. They want it. He's like a rock star, or he's like he's like a like a movie star kind of. It's oh my god, he, this is Bo Badham. He gets whatever he wants. He's, I would go. I'd go for like Brad Pitt or something like that. <laughs> Just like way over the way out uh, with his big Brad Pitt hair, man, flowing down. Yeah, yeah. scenery chewing, handlebar moustached, slicked back hair, Brad Pitt like really decked out in this refined cowboy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and ridiculous monologues and like like a showman kind of drumming up the crowd, but also having quiet scenes of um, intimidation and and he can do both. He can flip so easily. Like you'll you'll get mm. the killing them softly, Brad, and the uh, nature uh, black Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's really good at like getting hit by spaceships, lots of spaceships at once, and surviving, man, and speaking jive uh, when he shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, Creole, yes, yeah. So I would, yes, maybe something like that. I'd go stunt casting for Bo Badham and get like an absolute ginormous movie star for the bad guy, but he needs to be an ever-present kind of 
threat or whenever it's on your mind, Bo Badham's the, the bad guy and he's there. So a movie star of that power and significance and magnitude would be quite effective in that role, I think. So that was my unfleshed out, which we then added flesh to pitch for six hands in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, we, we put some skin on them bones, man. Damn right. Okay, so shall we choose some horses for each other for next week? I think that's a fantastic idea, man. Um, I'm going to take us to, I think, Banger on D for the 325 Banger on D standard race card, uh, 10th of February, 2023. Um, And looking at the fine selection of uh, beautiful animals that we have laid before me, I'm going to give you Arsino's Adventure. I'll see those adventure. Thank you very much. In that case, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you Lovin' Jukebox. Lovin' Jukebox. Okay, okay. Spelt L-O-V-I-N apostrophe. Sexy Lovin'. All right, man. Sexy Lovin'. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. I'll let that uh, sit around the old noodle. And Mm -hmm. uh, next episode, we shall reveal what the devil we come up with. That sounds like a plan, Stan. That sounds fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed our little chat today. A first podcast in the bag. Pilot episode, episode zero, Boom, I guess. That is, yep. El Zilcho. Um, so, yeah, that leaves it for us just to say goodbye to each other and goodbye to everybody out there. Hope you're safe and taking care of each other and loving life, loving the world, loving everything around you. And, yeah, just being good eggs all round. Bye! Bye-bye! Well... There we have it. Another episode of Racehorse Movies is over. We both hope you had as much fun listening as we did coming up with these films and recording our pitches. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with your friends and loved ones. And if it wasn't your thing, I don't know, maybe share it with someone you miffed with. Who knows? If it's not for them either, maybe you two can build some bridges over that connection. But if you did like picking up what we put down and you fancy checking out some more content from us, and head over to theneverpress.com to take a gander at our novels, poetry, and other bits and bobs. Anyway, that's about enough from us. Hope to have you back next time for some friendly chats and barely thought-through pitches at Racehorse Movies. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!